Ramesh Singh, my longtime colleague and friend and somebody with real wisdom as well as humility, led big organizational change processes in both ActionAid and Greenpeace. He reflects on what he learned about change leadership in the second episode in our series on change management that kicks off my brand new podcast, NGO Soul and Strategy. Hello and welcome to NGO Soul and Strategy, the podcast for NGO leaders and managers who look change right in the eye. My name is Tosca Bruno van Vijfijken, and I'm the founder and principal consultant at Five Oaks Consulting. I have over three decades of experience helping leaders in civil society and philanthropic organizations manage change, invest in cutting-edge leadership development, lead organizational culture change, and strengthen organizational effectiveness. If you are in an international civil society leadership position or are aspiring to grow towards that, this podcast is for you. Hello, good day, everybody. This is Tosca Bruno van Vijfijken talking today uh, as part of our podcast, NGO Soul and Strategy with Ramesh Singh. And Ramesh Singh and I have, well, Ramesh, how long have we known each other? I'm going back to 1997, 98, when I worked in Vietnam and you were there. That's the, yeah, that's the time. Yeah. That's amazing. Right. So today in our series on, on uh, organizational change management and change leadership, I'm talking with a longtime um, friend and colleague who I deeply admire, Ramesh Singh. And Ramesh is the former Secretary General of ActionAid. So after we had worked together a little bit in Vietnam when I was at the World Bank there and he, uh, the, the head of social development, and Ramesh was the country director for ActionAid Vietnam, Ramesh became the Secretary General of, of ActionAid. Um, he also, uh, after a period at uh, the Open Society Foundation, where he was the director for uh, monitoring, evaluation, and learning, he became the International Organization Director at Greenpeace International. He also, in more recent uh, years, has been uh, the Interim uh, Executive Director for Greenpeace India. And he is currently an independent consultant who, amongst others, has been working intensively over the last year or so uh, with Oxfam International on the formation of their global strategy. And as I said before, Ramesh and I have known each other since 1997. Uh, We've collaborated multiple times since we both left Vietnam, uh, especially during my period as the director of the Transnational NGO Initiative at Syracuse University. Ramesh, you were one of our, you were in fact our first visiting fellow That's correct, uh, yeah. at Syracuse University at the Maxwell School where, when you did applied research. You remember that on ActionAid's internationalization uh, process as, as a federation? You were an important advisor to our Transnational NGO Leadership Institute, which was our, our residential senior leadership training program. You advised us on the design on the curriculum. You held, uh, held us to account through the, um, the advisory group, uh, kept us honest. Uh, you contributed to the delivery of that program. I interviewed you for uh, the, the upcoming book that I'm a co-author 
of cold between power and irrelevance, the future of transnational NGOs that will be coming out in 2020. And we were on a big team together to conduct mm -hmm. an external assessment of Amnesty International's global transition program. So there's been a lot of history and a lot of collaboration. And I just consider you as somebody with, um, I've said this many a time to other people, you have real, you don't just have analytical clarity and capacity, but you actually have real wisdom and insight. And that is, well, thank you. that is honestly not that common. So I, I just have always appreciated um, being able to learn from you. You also have true humility and you have true integrity. And so it's an honor to have you on our program today. Thank you. So let's talk about your identity as a former senior leader of two big transnational or international NGOs, ActionAid and, and uh, Greenpeace. But let's also talk about your role as a consultant to change leaders and change managers, uh, for instance, in the case of Oxfam and, and probably other work that you've done in the last uh, couple of years as a consultant. Tell me a little bit first about how you define what I'm using as a shorthand change management. How do you define that? Because that is a very um, vague and nebulous term, and it's also a very big and broad concept. How has that shown up for you in your work, both as a, as a practitioner and now as a consultant? So uh, I always thank you, Tosca, for um, having me and... Uh, uh, rather embarrassing uh, interaction, <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. Uh, but uh, you know, I mean, change. Um, if I, uh, uh, you know, sort of reflect upon uh, my work and also what I see, I mean, there are two kinds of changes. One is that we are continuously learning from the past, uh, correcting courses, uh, and uh, so that's sort of relatively. Uh, easier change in some ways, provided there is a structure and methods of reflections and reviews and evaluations and learning, and and there is an environment for that. But the other change that I have increasingly learned uh, more difficult is to be fit for the future, because that's uh, uh, as, as we increasingly know that the future cannot be predict predicted, and in mm. fact we're not going to the future. Future is coming on to us. Uh, it uh, requires very different kind of mindset and methods for change or understanding what needs to change. Uh, so I think we have, uh, so basically in short, the change, correcting path based on experience, uh, but actually very large part of change is being uh, responsive and fit for future, really. Mm -hmm. And um, how, from a, from a, from a skill or um, trade perspective, how have you seen these large INGOs that you've been leaning in the past, how have you seen them try to develop that muscle to become more fit for the future and more responsive to developments that come at them, as you say? Well, fit for the future is the harder of the change, the most international NGO, and, you know, I might have as well found difficult to do simply because quite a large part of our work seems to be 
um, glorifying what we do, whether it's for fundraising or public policy influencing. We try and promote uh, the uniqueness, the results, a lot of successes. Uh, and that can lead to, that can be sort of antidote to change, if you like. So there is mm. a sort of um, uh, a culture and aura, which is necessary because without that, you can't raise funds. Without that, you don't have a credibility uh, 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 at the table. Uh, and now increasingly, so there is a there is that, and as long as we can manage that or at least uh, recognize that, so that's one uh, area that I think. Um, but I mean, international NGOs have done fantastically well in terms of uh, developing methods for review, reflection. Most of them have excellent evaluation team, uh, learning infrastructure. So learning from the past. Uh, is good, but it's almost uh, a little bit too much in terms of promoting the past too much kind of thing. And and but I can see, and in my own uh, recent experience working with uh, developing strategies, I see now uh, the new skills being required or acquired for uh, you know scenario planning, uh, foresight uh, development. Uh, uh, that uh, asks us not to uh, dwell on the past, but to look at the future coming on to us. Uh, and those uh, skills and trade are only beginning to uh, come into our, our sector, mm -hmm. and rightly so, uh, so that we can be fit for future, not entirely based on the glory of the past. Mm, very interesting that you said uh, earlier on that uh, our organizations have an institutional need to glorify what we do in order to sustain ourselves financially, probably also to motivate our, our people, our staff, right? In knowing that they have done meaningful and, and influence, work. Uh, and influence. And there are, you know, I, I, I use the word glorify, uh, you know, um, Sort of contextually, in the sense, there are lots of success stories we have yes. to tell. Yeah, uh, not only for fundraising and internal motivation, but also to influence. True, true. And but what you were saying is that that has maybe tell me if I I got this right or not that that has an innate risk that we might be much too much focused on what made us succeed or be effective or influential for in terms of pursuing the mission in the past instead of being focused on what we need to change in order to be relevant towards the future. Yeah, both for uh, so our ability to look at the future may be somewhat uh, restricted or constrained if we're not careful, yeah. Mm, mm. Since you mentioned scenario planning and uh, foresight development, et cetera, do you find that those tools or any other particular tools are particularly helpful in, in, from a change management perspective and change planning, if you even want to use that word since so little can be planned, but especially from a change leadership perspective, are those the tools that you think have a real use to INGOs? Definitely. I mean, you know, uh, and, you know, we not now, I mean, much of our, uh, strategy development and planning. You see, we must more prediction or forecast based, which increasingly has uh, certainly in this you know much more uh, complex world and uncertain. 
it's it's hard to do that. So I think it is everyone knows that. I suppose it is a common knowledge that we can we can only forecast so far and so much. Uh, and therefore, I have found method that allows us to open up the method that looks at the future uh, coming on to us in different possibilities and uh, plausibility uh, are. Uh, likely to prepare us better mm-hmm. than thinking that uh, 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 that we know where the world is heading and we are going to the future uh, as opposed to future coming up to us. Yes, yes, yes. That was a really nice quote that you used earlier on. So both from your perspective as a change leader in the past, as well as as a consultant accompanying currently change leaders, um, uh, what have you found to be the most um, rewarding about the what I'll call the art and science of change management? Um, most satisfying, most meaningful. I think uh, you know change are painful, uh, uh, just as much uh, so um, as rewarding as well, and and at the senior leadership particularly if you're driving the change, there's all kinds of cognitive satisfaction, uh, personal ones. But the most important thing is, are we making a difference? Uh, I think, you know, are we uh, better than we were before? Uh, are we responding to the uh, complexity at the level, you know, in, because a lot of our work, and all of our work are um, uh, detrimental to the lives of people and the lives of nature yeah? mm-hmm. uh, and therefore uh, the satisfaction is not so much from the change process uh, what does it yield in the end uh, what results we are able to bring of course there is you know if the change becomes successful and if you are a leader and if it went your way there are lots of other satisfaction but that's kind <laughs> of a more <laughs> unavoidable cognitive uh, uh, issues, but in terms of, I mean, the, in my own work, uh, you know, bringing systemic change and seeing that, well, it's making a difference at the front line uh, of a community where we're working or the supporters and donors who are um, in taking action. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and, and, and we're really uh, addressing the uh, systemic uh, issues. Mm. So I think that's where it comes from. Not all of them, uh, not all of them becomes apparent at the end of so-called designated change management period. Yeah. Uh, so I think there is, uh, you know, I've learned to suspend some of my uh, uh, enjoyment of change for until a bit later. Well, I was going to ask you exactly about that. Um, Sometimes, especially in large organizations, your work as a change leader and change manager is so process-oriented, right? And is so indirect in terms of seeing what you just said were the most rewarding facets, meaning you see your organization being better able to uh, uh, fulfill the mission, for instance, uh, as a shorthand, um, that you don't ever get to get that reward, that satisfaction. Have you found, though, that in the organization that you have led through very significant change processes, have you found that you were always eventually able to see some of that reward? Um, 
Yeah, yes, I mean, I was in a, an organization, although in different, you know, many countries and different uh, positions. Uh, so um, I probably was able to see some of the changes uh, that um, in a longitudinal manner. And that's not always easy. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, I mean, whether it is about uh, internally strengthening your accountability system or uh, really promoting a particular skill set uh, in those days, uh, it's probably less so now, you know, ensuring that we have a gender balance and mm -hmm. uh, power relations. So many of those things take a longer period of time and you realize, you know, the, in, in the immediate aftermath of the, the change process as a designated as change management process often ends pretty soon after the new strategy or plan is developed. Mm. But actually the chain reaction of the change is, is uh, much later. Uh, so I, I, have, I have seen that. I mean, whether, you know, incorporating uh, disaster, I mean, the organization that I used to work with didn't have is to take pride in thinking that, you know, development is the thing and disasters really not uh, our work, but actually emergency and disasters are part of life of the community and therefore integrating that and that takes mm -hmm. uh, change uh, of a particular kind. So, yes, I, I have seen and probably the privilege of working for a long time in one organization, albeit in different locations. Mm. Uh, and different positions. I do remember vividly you once said to me, I cannot, I, sh I will not be uh, uh, a change leader for more than about six years because after that I've exhausted my ability to both to, to um, inspire uh, change and or to come up with new ideas, etc. Do you still feel that way? I, I certainly believe that uh, leadership uh, rotation uh, is a part of a strong, I mean, it's a strong organizational culture that we should, and in the organization that I had, we used to have. Mm. Uh, and um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, five years or six years or even seven. Sure, but. Uh, but, but basically, you, if you're careful, you'll, uh, you'll start hearing too much of yourself as the year goes by. Uh, and that inertia and the ability to uh, bring about change uh, uh, certainly at the top legislative can be diminished, I think. So, so yeah. I'm not saying the same organization. It depends on where you are in the um, hierarchy as well, but certainly at the level of executive director, chief executive. So it's not so much a functional one, it's the organizational leaders yeah. uh, uh, need to be careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I would agree with you. And I'm saying that amongst others because we know from research that in the both the domestic nonprofit community here in the US, where I'm based, uh, as well as in the INGO sector, and we know that from our own research at Syracuse University as well, that the tenure of top leaders is unusually long on average mm -hmm. compared to that of the public or private sectors. And it's something that I... I, I um, uh, keep an eye on. So I guess the mirror uh, question then needs to be is change management and change leadership is incredibly complex because it's whole of organization thinking, right? It involves people and people's emotions and psychology, and it involves power differentials and many, many other dimensions. What have you found to be the most difficult or frustrating or trying about leading 
big organizational transformation projects or processes? Well, um, not all chains that I managed had involved, but when there are people involved in it, so mm-hmm. particularly um, if it is uh, changing an X number of people, either because of financial constraints or the different competencies required, um, or just phasing out of a particular kind of work, yeah. uh, there are people involved, and uh, uh, and that is probably the most painful one uh, mm. because uh, uh, you know there, there are relationships, livelihood, and all kinds of issues. Um, I think change management can be very painful if it is forced upon you. Mm-hmm. So if they and and <laughs> because. Change, change management is much better when you do it before it. You are, you have to do it. Is my experience, and that means financially and otherwise. Yeah, uh, I think uh, I have had the privilege of managing change uh, when we had reasonable amount of either reserve or money, and when we didn't have uh, reserve or money. So I think uh, the the pain is very uh, related to the uh, the flexibility you have and the flexibility you have is very much related to the the time from which the change it becomes impossible not to have mm, interesting so there's almost a mathematical relationship I, I like to think uh so yeah so doing change in uh when it is forced upon us either because of budget deficit or uh, a crisis has happened the government wants to shut you down or you know all those things that actually happens uh and i'm not talking about i mean and most of the change most of those practices are actually slow onset practice and if you didn't see it on time right and some are not uh, so i would think that yeah people related and forced changes uh and um you know um those are probably two the big ones mm-hmm. uh, i think mm-hmm. makes sense yeah. And now that you are in a role as a consultant, do you look differently um, at as you are observing as well as accompanying and supporting change leaders? Has Have any of your views about the art and science of change management changed or any observations that particularly from a consultant you can share? I just thought I would ask. Um, not really, uh, not uh, uh, in a substantive manner, but I do feel... Uh, that um, I, I had begun to realize even in my own change, you know, thinking change as not a management, but also as a governance process. And I don't mean simply the board. There is okay. a larger value system. There is a larger uh, shift in uh, uh, the context where that becomes important. I mean, I, I refer to governance in much more than what board does. Okay. Uh, it is it is the fundamentals of the organization. Uh, it's our value system and such. So actually, a change not so much. So how much you know? And but that does, that does require the people who govern us, which is the board and of course assemblies. And but also we are also governed by the larger uh, staff. In some places we have unions or works workers committees. Uh, so actually, it's, it's thinking that is everybody's job. And I've been in situation where. Uh, that working with the workers' com- uh, committee mm-hmm. uh, has been 
fantastically helpful uh, and you know not considering the only management jobs but actually making everybody else's job so i do think that the so one of the things and i find that when i facilitate changes these days you know the this thing that um, the senior management team is responsible for change and uh, and as if nobody else says uh, so the scope of change and thinking change as a sort of larger uh, than just management Mm-hmm. Uh, and not to be too deceived by the term change management. I know uh, is is an important part that I reflect more and more. That makes me think of uh, of a colleague of of us who once said, "We really have to watch out that the change managers in an NGO don't." Uh, develop uh, a bunker mentality or that it, that the function of change management is seen like a bunker uh, and everybody else can get on with work. Uh, they, that particular right. organization found that uh, not, uh, not so helpful. So I have often admired you for the way in which you're also able to, to both articulate and as well as use concepts and frameworks. Uh, you've used frameworks of others too. Um, there are, because change management, particularly as a, as a, what shall I call it, as a discipline, originates in the in the private sector, right? Yeah. Has existed for four or five decades or so, and then developed more actively in the public government sector and in the INGO sector to some extent. Which frameworks, resources, or tools or concepts have you found most valuable in your own work as a change practitioner, as well as now as as a consultant? Is there any one or two that you want to lift up? Um, you know, I mean, this is the thing. Every, all the tools that uh, you know, I have tended not to projectize change so much that we have to have a new set of tools for that. Uh, okay. Having said that, uh, change as a project management does help uh, as well. So I think this the so I, I I really feel that all the tools that I use for other things are just as valuable. Whether I'm such as building scenarios and uh, and keeping scenarios alive in the in the in my, in my mind about what we had said about you know because normally all the all the things that we do at the time of preparation of strategy for change, uh, those background things become so background that we almost forget about it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, con- continuously updating and understanding that. Uh, so the, the, the forecast scenario predictions data uh, is, uh, is continually uh, keeping that up to date is something, as I said, I mean, and- it's okay for some of the, you know, I mean, I, compared with my previous incarnations and early on the latter part of my management career, I do appreciate project management. So I think managing mm. change as a, within mm-hmm. a project management frame, yeah. provided that doesn't become the driving, it's only a tool. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think, uh, is, and that's very hard balance. Once you have that many spreadsheets and data, it's, it's quite, they, they can drive uh, their own life. But as long as we're careful about that, yeah, I have begun, I have appreciated uh, a clear, uh, you know, path as well. Certainly, um, a very big part of change management is you know applying theory of change in everything. In my, you know, one of the framework I work is that even the change management has a theory of change. So it's not you know theory of change gets to really occasionally as a framework confined to you know your strategy framework or 
mission side. So how will the change come about? Uh, all other things that related to participatory method, accountability uh, framework, uh, they are, but they are, we use that, I mean, you In use programming that as well. Change, uh, as well. Mm -hmm. So I, I can't really, apart from, you know, being very uh, clear about change management projects and really making sure that doesn't drive everything else, bringing all other tools and not really, bring, I can't, I don't think, I mean, I've been in many change management process. Uh, we didn't use a particular change management tool and then we discarded that because all right. other tools are useful. Are well. useful, are useful as a set, you're saying. Yeah. I found it really interesting that you said the, the theory of change behind the change model, yeah. if you will, is, 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 is an, an important one. Yeah. So let's, uh, for our last question, let's um, look a little bit more at the, uh, what in, in one particular set of concepts that, uh, as, as you know, that I have found very helpful is uh, that there are different lenses for looking at one's change leadership. And one of them is the political frame, right? Political with a small p. This is not petty politics within the organization. Um, so I am talking about intra-organizational politics and it's not petty politics, but it's the use of the political frame to further the change process that is meant to result in a better ability of the NGO to fulfill its mission. Can you just talk to me a little bit about how you have seen the political frame in action and the skills that are required for change leaders to use the political frame in change management. Yeah, I mean, you know, politics as a relationship between people and power is inevitable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think we have two, I mean, I have balance of two kinds of politics because um, Internally, internal power relationship uh, is one politics, uh, and they're not petty politics or personality politics. But you know, some people have more power, and if there's you know diversity inside the organization, there's not enough consultation. Just to be aware of that and addressing that. But there is a larger politics as well. So I think you know we some of those larger politics is a function of value system, and we cannot separate them from the kind of change we want inside the organization mm. and the kind of change we want outside. Mm -hmm. So if we, if we have equality as a value and equity, so the gender and the feminist perspective, uh, we can't really separate that we will do that in the work and not inside. Mm. Um, diversity, uh, transparencies. Uh, so I think uh, the political framework is, uh, you, know, um, you know, who will be, uh, what's affected and do they have a voice, uh, which is not very different from any other change management. In addition, no. not to say consensus. I'm not saying we need to seek consensus. In fact, it's very, very hard to get uh, full consensus for a significant yes. change. Yes. And unfortunately, I mean, I rather jokingly say that, in fact, if everybody agreed, then it probably wasn't uh, big enough or to work enough a change. Yes. Uh, having said that, I think we ought to take uh, it, it's our value system should uh, allow us to measure who is driving. Are we, have we heard the voices? Have we heard the difference and uh, voices? You know, analysis of difference is a, an amazing tool. 
Mm-hmm. Um, not just identification of difference, but analysis of difference, and particularly if you infuse power uh, with that. Um, and those of us who sort of grew up with the participatory methods and tools, mm. uh, you know, that's kind of a, almost a routine. Uh, but yeah, uh, I would say political framework is just to understanding the differences, analyzing that, looking at power relationship, but basically some broader value has to, uh, I mean, I, you know, I, I broader, it, much of the broader value has to be lived by within the organizational change as well, as much as outside. And mm-hmm. fact, I would say mm-hmm. all of them. Their, their actual uh, practical implementation may be different. So, you know, equality doesn't mean that uh, there, will be, there won't be any opportunity for some kind of some number of staff to leave mm. and that will be painful. So this is not to the value systems are not to sort of put ourselves in limbo uh, and, and you know reach trying to reach uh, consensus but the idea is to make sure that we make progress uh, mm. and so yeah I, I think political framework of power relationships analysis of difference uh, the uh, the the voices of the people either who are not heard or who are most affected mm-hmm. uh, and you know the analysis of difference uh, correlated with diversity of, uh, inside the organization. Yes. Uh, and, yes. Go uh, ahead. Yeah. So, and those are about the internal politics, but I think we should always be driven by our external politics of social justice, human rights, uh, you know, feminist principles, you know, all the things that go to our work as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so they, they, they need, they need to, uh, to mirror each other. A really interesting point about when you said, we should use not just the tool of identification of difference, but also the analysis of difference. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to remember that. Fascinating discussion. Thank you so much. It really was, was very interesting. Um, so let me, for our listeners, Ramesh, if people want to know more about you, where can they, where should they go? Uh, I live in Bangkok, which is a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful city, by the way. So welcome. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I am. I'm in sort of nominally present in LinkedIn as well, and my okay. email address is, you know, normally full form Ramesh Singh Malla as well. Although I'm only known as Ramesh Singh, but my passport name is Malla. So Ramesh Singh Malla at gmail dot com. And you're you're okay if people email you there, uh, following it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay, good. We'll put that in the in the show notes so that uh, that our listeners can can find it. Well, thank you once again for for such a wonderful conversation, and uh, till the next time. I think I'm I know already how I want to invite you back in for another topic or two. Thank you, Tosca. Always a pleasure to uh, have a conversation with you and work with you. Thank you. Cool. All right. Thanks. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to NGO Soul and Strategy. If you want to learn more, have a look at my website, fiveoaksconsulting.org, where you will find posts on topics related to what we discussed today. That's five, as in the number five, oaksconsulting.org. You can also find free white papers there, recordings of interviews with me, as well as information about the upcoming book Between Power and Irrelevance, The Future of Transnational NGOs, of which I'm a co-author, and which will be published in June 2020. 
or feel free to email me at tosca at fiveoaksconsulting.org and follow me on my social media channels, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. And be sure to leave a review on iTunes or any of the places where you get your podcasts so that others can find it too. So until we talk again, this is Tosca at NGO Soul and Strategy, the podcast for leaders who look change right in the eye.